Hello and welcome to the Glide TV Recaps, The Golden Girls. Today we are on Season 4, Episode 12, Blind Date. Now let's learn what else has transpired on this day in uh, historical events. That was a terrible way to say that. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, well, uh, back in 1887, construction begins on a little thing known as the Eiffel Tower in Paris. I gotta figure out what I just did. Oh, I added a page randomly. Cool. Um, in 1935, Iceland becomes the first country in the West uh, to legalize abortion. In 1955, Le Vie de Maine, the first X-rated movie, uh, as it depicts an artificial insemination procedure, opens in London. In 1958, the Lego company patents their design for their bricks. Uh, in 1998, Michelangelo's Christ and the Woman of Samaria sells for $7.4 million. In 2014, DNA analysis confirms that the 6th century plague of Justinian was caused by a variant of Yersinia pestis, the same bacteria that would later be responsible for the Black Death. And our most recent event on January 28th of 2019, the United States Justice Department charges Chinese firm Huawei, I'm sure that's nowhere close to correct, okay. uh, with bank and wire fraud. Uh, so that is our history lesson for today. So why don't you tell us what transpired in this installment of the Golden Girls? Oh boy, here we go. Scene one. We're in the living room. Sophia's reading the TV guide. Dorothy enters through the front door. And Sophia is depressed because they are taking Pat Sajak off the Wheel of Fortune. Oh my. Sophia claims she is gassy from her Weight Watchers meal. Rose enters through the front door and has come from coaching football practice for a boys' team. Huh. Now, I have a question. Why is Sophia on the Weight Watchers program? Because she, she gained one pound? I don't know. <laughs> she, I mean, she's why on, is Sophia on the Weight Watchers program? She may not be. She just had a Weight Watchers meal. I, okay. Uh, she may not be on the program. Okay. But... <laughs> That's a good question. I didn't even think of that. Uh, huh, Rose talks Dorothy into being her assistant. There's no paperwork she has to file for this either. No. I guess this is the 80s, so yes, paperwork's the 80s. not quite that uh, as extensive right. for th these kind of things. Blanche comes through the living room on her way to another date with Tom Gallagher. Uh, Dorothy thinks he isn't good enough for Blanche. Dorothy thinks he is a shallow insensitive snob who constantly misses dates with Blanche. Huh. So scene two, we're at a bar. Blanche sitting there and Tom misses another date. There's a dude, he's John Quinn, is sitting next to her and he apparently got stood up also. There's a dude. <laughs> okay. What can I say? Okay. They hit it off a bit and Blanche puts her phone number on a napkin that she gives him. Ah, she leaves the bar, and then, yeah, we see that John is blind. Wow, John, uh, Blanche didn't know this. 
and we did not know that until that moment. Scene three, we're in the living room. Football players are weighing in. Billy can't play because he doesn't weigh enough. He weighed 68 pounds and needed to weigh 70. Ah, Blanche comes out and needs advice on her attire for her date with John Quinn. I will also say, in my experience with youth football leagues, there is no minimum weight requirement. No. In my experience. No. I don't know if there's ever been... Uh, maybe there is in Miami in the 80s. Maybe. I don't know. Ah, uh, Blanche. She's very excited about the date. The doorbell rings. Blanche leaves to get absolutely perfect for him. Rose answers the door, and it is John. He uses his blind stick, gets introduced to the other three girls. Blanche comes out and really makes a mess of things. Even after she realizes he is blind, she still keeps messing up. Scene four. We're in the living room. Rose is diagramming a football play on the chalkboard, and the team is paying attention. Yes, all four members of the team. Looks like a team of about six boys, though. Dorothy ends the practice, and the boys leave. Then Dorothy and Rose both say they may have caught something with practice being in the rain. I'm not sure when this practice was, um, because at that point it looks quite sunny outside. But anyway, Blanche comes out. They can't afford outdoor shoots. Okay. And Blanche comes out and discusses her date with John. They have dated every night this week. Wow. Phone call, and it is Tom Gallagher, and she makes a date with him. Blanche just doesn't think it can work with John because he is blind. Scene five, we're back in the living room. Dorothy and Rose have the flu and won't be able to coach the football team today. Uh, instead of forfeiting, Sophia will coach. How about that? The doorbell rings, and it's a football player who somehow already knows that Sophia is coaching for the day. They leave. Rose and Dorothy head to the kitchen. Blanche enters from the back door. Blanche discusses her feeling with John, and she is going to make up with him. Ah, scene six. We're in the football locker room. Sophia is talking to the team. She even says something about lovemaking in front of these 10-year-old boys. Huh? Okay, the team goes out to the field. Sophia stays behind and talks to Billy about being small, and she's going to let him play. Way to go, Sophia. Break the rules. Uh, scene seven. Blanche enters a restaurant, and John is there sitting alone. Blanche sits down, and they talk a bit. John tells her what he sees in her. They do make up a bit, and Blanche leaves as his other party arrives in the form of Elaine. Oh boy, who Blanche can't help but get a good dig in before she leaves. Yeah, scene eight, back in the living room. Rose and Dorothy on the couch, and Blanche enters through the front door and heads to her bedroom, but does comment on her date with John. Sophia and the team come in the front door and say they won the big game. Yay! And it's time for ice cream, so the team heads to the kitchen while Sophia explains that it was the statue of Mussolini play that won the game for them. Yes, on the first play, the entire team piles onto the other team's star quarterback, and then he is out for the rest of the game. Hmm, what a play. Sophia heads to the kitchen as this crazy episode comes to an end. Well... Uh, we have a few references, of course, uh, throughout this episode. Um, firstly, to Pat Sajak, of course, uh, television personality, weatherman, and talk show host, best known as the host of Wheel of Fortune. 
Um, and then Wheel of Fortune, of course, is a game show in which players spin a wheel and then guess letters to solve various phrases. Kind of a very weird, like, crossword, basically. Um, I think this is probably the same moment. Sophia mentions that Pat Sajak uh, had a, has a late-night talk show. Yes. So That's why he's leaving Wheel of Fortune. Right. So... Um, Pat Sajak had, did have a nighttime talk show that aired from uh, January 9th of 1989 to April 13th of 1990. Ran for one season, 298 episodes, according to Wikipedia. Uh, and that was pretty much it. Uh, so, yeah, about that. Um, Henry Kissinger, an American political scientist, diplomat, geopolitical consultant, Served as Secretary of State, National Security Advisor under Nixon and Gerald Ford. Um, that's pretty much that. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot more we can get into about how, like, he's a really awful person. But, you know, we can save that for later. Uh, Mike Tyson, uh, speaking of other not great people, uh, a former boxer uh, who, um, you know, boxed and was apparently very good at it. Yes. Uh, Masterpiece Theater uh, is a anthology TV series uh, premiering on PBS in January of 1971, and presents numerous acclaimed British productions uh, of you know plays and whatnot like that. Uh, adaptations of novels and biographies. Um, Weight Watchers uh, is an American company that offers various products and services to assist in healthy habits including weight loss and maintenance, fitness, and mindset, which was founded in 1963 by Queens uh, homemaker Gene Nidich. Nidich? Something like that. Okay. Um, Lynn Redgrave uh, was an English and American actress, member of the Redgrave family of actors. Um, she won a... Uh, oh, she was nominated for an Oscar, apparently. Uh, for Georgie Girl in 1966. Um, she also received a Oscar nom for Gods and Monsters in 1998. She is the only person to this point to be nominated for all Big Four awards, Grammy, Emmy, Oscar, and Tony, without winning any of them. Uh, so, uh, so what... So let me see here if I can track these down. Uh, so Tony's, she was nominated for Best Actress in a Play, for Mrs. Warren's Profession, Shakespeare for My Father, uh, and The Constant Wife. Um, Emmys, she was nominated for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Comedy for House Calls. Uh, and that was it. Grammy, she was nominated for a Best Spoken Word Children's Album for The Witches. Uh, and that was it. And then Oscars, she was nominated for um, Best Actress in a Leading Role for Georgie Girl. Uh, and Best uh, Actress in a Lead for... Oh, Best Actress in a Supporting Role, sorry. For gods and monsters. Uh, so that's Lynn Redgrave. Um, Emmett Kelly was an American circus performer who created the memorable clown figure Wary Willie, 
based on the hobos of the Depression era. <laughs> okay. Huh. Um... Uh, uh, Bush number one was an American politician, the 41st president of the United States, uh, and um, that he was also um, a congressman, an ambassador, and also the director of the CIA yeah. uh, for a while, apparently. Yep. Uh, Bush number one's vice president, also known as Dan Quayle, uh, is a politician and lawyer who served as the 44th vice president, was also a a uh, member of the House of Representatives in the late 70s and a senator all throughout the 80s. Um, Raymond Burr was a Canadian-American actor primarily known for his title roles in TV dramas Perry Mason and Ironside. Um, and I think that's pretty much it. Any notable film uh, or anything award noms I need to uh, mention? Um, he won a he won two Emmys, uh, both for Perry Mason. Uh, this is a very unorganized. Um, he uh, received six Emmy noms for Ironside, uh, and that looks like it pretty much, um, as far as I can tell. Um, uh, Eisenhower uh, was an American Army general and later the 34th president of the U.S. from 1953 to 61. Um, I mean, that's pretty much it. Um, he fought in World War II, um, and that's really pretty much it as far as I can really tell. Um, pretty much... Um, uh, well, he brought an end to the, um, Democratic stranglehold of the presidency as he became the first Republican to win the presidency since 1928. Um, so, I guess we can all thank him for that. Um, D-Day, uh, or the Normandy landings, were the landing operations on Tuesday, June 6th, 1944, of the Allied invasion of Normandy during World War II. Um, Frank Capra was an Italian-American film director and writer who became the creative force behind some of the major award-winning films of the 30s and 40s. Um, he became one of America's most influential directors in the 30s, winning three Oscars for Best Director from six nominations, along with three other Oscar wins from nine noms and other categories. Um, can I find uh, this? So, yes, okay, so... Um, Oscars, he was nominated for, but did not win, um, Best Director for Lady for a Day in 1933. Uh, now granted these are, you know, 30s Oscars, so they're not super, okay. you know, uh, they're not really, uh, granted no Oscar really is that prestigious, but still, um, not, especially 30s Oscars, um, also nommed, but did not win for uh, Best Director, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington in 1939, uh, Best Documentary Feature for The Battle of Russia in 1944, and then Best Picture and Director for It's a Wonderful Life in 46, uh, was nominated and won for Best Director in 1934 with It Happened One Night, uh, Best Director in 1936 for Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, uh, best director and some 
category called Outstanding Production, which I'm not sure what that is now called, uh, in 1938 for You Can't Take It With You, uh, and then won Best Documentary in 1943 for Prelude to War. Uh, any other awards? No, that aren't, you know, fake ones. Um, Billy Barty uh, was an American actor and activist. Uh, stood three foot nine inches due to dwarfism and was often cast in movies opposite taller performers for comic effect. Uh, he specialized in outspoken or wisecracking characters. During the 50s, became a TV star, appearing regularly in the Spike Jones Ensemble. Uh, so that's Billy Barty, and actually, if I recall right, um, he did, did he not? Yes, um, so back in season one, uh, the episode where Rose dates the short guy, uh, Okay. Um, Billy Barty appears in the dream sequence Rose has, ah, uh, he plays her father in that. Yes, yes. okay. Uh, Danny DeVito is mentioned. I don't think I need to explain who he is, do I? Uh, okay. No. Uh, World War II, do I need to explain that one? Uh, we've gone over that okay. a few times. Uh, and Benito Mussolini, <laughs> once again, uh, dictator of Italy during, uh, well, <laughs> for a while, 1922. Yes but to, uh, through World War II, mostly. Yes. Um, <clears throat> uh, side characters, Ernie is played by Alan Koss. Known for Assault on Precinct 13, Cheers. He plays Alan. Okay. Uh, in, like, 40 episodes, it looks like. These uh, look like later ones. Uh, yeah, probably. Well, 1983, so not really. Um, but he plays Alan for 40 episodes throughout uh -huh. Cheers. Um... Well, this appearance is actually his third most notable credit, so that's usually not a great sign. Um, also known for Falcon Crest. What else was he in? Oh, he voiced Mr. Gump in one episode of Rugrats. Hmm. Um, John Quinn is played by Edward Winter, known for M.A.S.H. He plays Colonel Flagg. Colonel Flag. Mm -hmm. Porky's 2, Simon and Simon, and Project UFO. He also provides a lot of um, voice work in a lot of like the Nickelodeon shows and stuff. Actually, he does a lot of voice. He did a lot of voice work here um, for let's see, um, uh, Real Adventures of Johnny Quest, Ah Real Monsters, and The Angry Beavers are his last three acting credits. All voice work. Um, do do do. Billy Haskell is played by Christopher Kent Hill, known for uh, Defending Your Life, Full House, in which he plays the young version of Joey, uh, There Goes the Neighborhood, and Roseanne, in which he plays Lonnie Anderson. Huh. Okay. On Roseanne. Huh. Um, Freddy is played by Paul Tennon. This is his only acting credit. Wow. Uh, and Elaine is sadly not played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus, but is played by Leslie Glassford, also her only acting credit. Uh, no new sex partners established in this episode. So our tally stands Blanche 63, Dorothy 6, Rose 5, and Sophia 4. Okay. Just a few observations. 
And yes, I know this is a sitcom, so we overlook some things and we don't see everything that goes on. John, who's dating Blanche or whatever, um, arrives at their front door. He's blind, so how did he get there? Did he take a taxi? That's what I assume. He took a taxi. Uh, that would then, be my guess. Taxi and or someone lives with him that drove him. That drove him. And him and Blanche leave through the front door again on their way out. So either his car's out there waiting for him, um, you know, with his driver. Mm -hmm. Or the taxi's still waiting. Or they go to Blanche's car. We don't quite know. But I was always wondering, how did John get to the front door there? Next is... And, you know, this is just me. You got eight-year-old boys and you got football practice in the living room, which I guess, yes, their budget doesn't allow them to have outside shoots, apparently. I don't think so. With the fact that, like, we rarely get more than, like, two sets, I don't think so. But it's like, okay, Rose has drawn up a pretty complicated play here. Wouldn't uh -huh. you want to go out on the field and practice that right away? No, it's I'm drawing it on the... Okay, you guys got that? Okay, off you go home. Which would be my next thing is how do they get to the house? Because uh, when Sophia and the whole team get to the uh -huh. football game, or I mean, after the football game... Ideally, They all sure. run in. Yeah, I don't know. There's a team van. I don't know. But a team I, van for an eight, eight sure, I don't know. Team. Sure. Um, sure, I don't know. And, you know, all the parents but, drove and stayed out in their cars while the kids run inside. No! I guess. I don't know. Ideally, I guess the thing with the play would be, which they, obviously this isn't the case because it's not established this way or shown this way, but ideally, I think the ideal way to do it would be you do it like they're doing, right? You in, install at the end of practice. Now, ideally, you'd have the children writing down the play with you, so they're writing it out themselves too or you have photocopied versions of the play to hand out or whatever yes. they go okay here's the play take this home study this and then next practice we come back and we will any questions you all have about this play we'll try running it we'll walk through then we'll go half speed full speed that's the ideal way obviously that's not what they're doing but that would ideally be what they're that doing that would be the ideal thing uh, yes. And I know this was the 80s. The times were a little bit different than they are today. Mm-hmm. Obviously. Because today, if the two coaches get sick, well, you don't just have a coach and say, you be my assistant coach. Oh, we're both sick. Okay, you coach. You know, <laughs> you cannot do that today anyway. Uh, you, you just have someone random show up. Um, <laughs> and coach, no. Yeah, no. You um, might have back then, but... Mm, now, there would be paperwork involved. I mean, yeah, if... Well, see, the, I guess, yeah, I guess the part they're kind of meaning with that is if both Dorothy and Rose don't go to the game, they have to forfeit. So I'm assuming that means because the kids wouldn't be able to go then, too, because no one would be able to take them, I well, guess. See, that's where all the parents come in again. I guess, but then that's establishing Sophia drives them all, which... Yeah, which, no um, way. <laughs> no, 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 no. But so then, are they trying to establish that if you don't have a coach, the team has to forfeit? Well, that's what they're saying, yeah. Which, which one of the parents yeah, like, jump in? 
Yeah, like I think one of the parents would do uh, it. I'll jump. I'll whatever. I'll put them out there. Or the one time this, <laughs> or the one time I've seen this actually happen in a youth sports league. Some other coach from the league that's not playing in that game coaches until the coaches show up. The coach, yes. Uh huh. So, I don't know. <laughs> so, I don't know. My last thing here is, which is a sitcom thing once again. Things show up and leave, and you never see them again all the time. I know, but Rose has this nice whiteboard, chalkboard thing. And she's drawn the plays on. Okay. Where is this? Where is that the rest of the series? Mm-hmm. Okay, I know, because I saw that. I was like, ooh, I'd like one of those. Is it? Where? That would be nice. <laughs> okay, where is that thing? I don't know. That is a good uh, good tool. That is something I should look into. Yes. All righty. Other than that. Transportation uh, of it would be a challenge. Ah. Alrighty, that's all my observations for this episode. Uh, my counts, I did have one. There's one Sicily Italian reference, which uh, Sophia says football is like shopping in Sicily. Uh, there was one sport, of course, football, coaching, Rose and Dorothy. I didn't count Sophia on that one. Um, yes, I did. I think the it. sport would be football, It'd not be football, coaching. But I put coaching. Just okay, to, sure. Just to clarify what the okay. two girls were doing. Coaching football, I think, should oh, be what, it, what your thing says. Coaching football. Okay. Uh, yes. Because <laughs> I am an active player in the sport of coaching. Coaching. Yes. Uh, okay. All righty. There there's been nine weddings, planned weddings in this series. Eleven physical abuses arose. Twenty-six St. Olaf stories, 19 picture it stories, 12 cheeks cakes eaten, 7 Sicily Italian stories, Sicily Italian references are at 34, girls mad at each other 17 times, 23 sports now. We have 26 games and 11 Stanley Zabornak appearances. Last but not least, I just thought of. Okay. Which I just, I just thought of this. I'm sorry. It's eight to ten, and maybe it was a bit different back in the eighties. But how many te- uh, parents from the other team would rebel and slap you and stuff if if your team all we're gonna do is everyone's gonna run and jump on the quarterback, hurt him, and we're gonna be able to win that way? <laughs> that wouldn't play yeah. too well today. No. Um, also, <laughs> in my experience, doesn't really matter. They don't throw the ball at this level. At that age. No one, none of the kids can throw the ball. No, so it's nothing but run plays. Unless he can run it really well, I guess. But, but <laughs> taking the handoffs not that hard. Anyone can take the snap. It's not yeah. that hard. So you wouldn't. Yeah, unless they run, run nothing but quarterback <laughs> keepers, and this kid like is, is like LeBron out there. Boom. All right, my rating for this episode. There's some good laughs, though it is really hard to believe that Rose, Dorothy, and Sophia know this much about coaching a football team. Sorry. I could see Rose know it from, from Minnesota. I could see Rose having I don't football see it knowledge. Myself. I could see Rose having it. I don't see it myself. 
And so I give this episode a 77 out of 100. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Glide TV Recaps, the Golden Girls. That'll do it for this episode. Oh, I just said that. Uh, so make sure to subscribe to the show before I lose my mind completely, apparently. Uh, and until that next episode, goodbye.